The thing that we have done better than anybody else in the years that I've been involved, which is now 30 to 40 years here in the city, is we can create leadership alignment and possibilities that other cities can't do. And that sounds like a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. Because as the Big Ten goes to other cities and, and tests out doing football and basketball, and the NGBs, national governing bodies, go and test out other cities, they come back. And they come back because we're easy to do business with. Welcome to Off the Record, a podcast featuring leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, which publishes the Indiana 250, a list of the most influential business people in the state. Today, I'm joined by a woman some might call the MVP of our city's sports movement. Allison Melanchthon didn't invent Indy's sports strategy, but she's been involved in almost every major sporting event Indianapolis has hosted over the last three decades. She served for 20 years on the executive leadership team of the Indiana Sports Corp and spent two years as its president. She was president and CEO of Indy's Super Bowl host committee leading up to the 2012 Super Bowl and then went on to work for Holman Motorsports to head up planning for the 100th running of the Indy 500 in 2016. Allison has been involved in some of the highest profile events in sports, including nine Olympic Games, six of them as an associate producer for the gymnastics broadcast for NBC Sports. She has won five Emmy Awards for her work as a member of the NBC Sports Broadcast production team. Now Allison oversees marketing, communications, and corporate partnerships for Penske Entertainment Corp., which owns the IndyCar Series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And she's on the board of the 2024 NBA All-Star Game, which of course, Indy is hosting next month. In spite of her many obligations in the sports world, Allison finds time for community service in Indianapolis. In addition to many community service projects, she's led the United Way of Central Indiana campaign and the Wheeler Mission Women and Children's Center Capital campaign. Allison serves on the boards of One America, the St. Vincent Foundation, and the Economic Club of Indiana. Considering all Allison has done for our city, it's no surprise she was named to the Indiana 250 and that she won IBJ's prestigious 2022 Michael A. Carroll Award for Community Service. Here's our conversation. Allison, welcome to the Indiana 250 podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today about Indy and sports and your civic involvement beyond athletics. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Allison, considering all you've done in Indy, a lot of people might think you were born a Hoosier, but you grew up in Maine as a daughter of an accomplished ski jumper. And I hear your dad had you and your sister out on the mountain at a young age. Skiing must therefore be second nature to you. Yes, at four years old, he took us out there. He was an amazing man and teacher. And uh, yeah, skiing is a big passion of mine. So even though you grew up on skis, it wasn't long before you got involved in gymnastics. In fact, you were a competitive gymnast at Colorado State, your alma mater. And Colorado's ski culture must have been one of the things that drew you out there to go to college. But as a gymnast, did you have time to ski or is it all gymnastics all the time? It was all gymnastics all the time as far as the coach knew, but we definitely took our weekends when we didn't have meets and went skiing a lot. So that was one of the reasons that attracted me to Colorado, the skiing out there. And it was your connection to Colorado that landed you in Indianapolis, I think, if I got the story right, back in the early 80s. Tell us who you met at the U.S. Olympic Committee meeting in Boulder and how that meeting led you to Indianapolis. I was working at the U.S. Olympic Committee at the time, you know, somewhat fresh out of college. I think I'd been there a year and a half. And Indianapolis sent a delegation of leaders out to the USOC to talk about all the wonderful things happening in Indianapolis. 
Sandy Knapp, the former uh, president of the Sports Corp, was there, and Ted Boehm. And I remember them standing up in front of all of us, and they had their eyes were dancing with excitement. They were talking about all the great things Indianapolis was going to do in the next 30 to 50 years in sports. And if we wanted to have careers in sports and we wanted to be part of an exciting movement, that we better move to Indiana. And I had never been to Indiana, and I wasn't exactly sure where it was, <laughs> but they were so enthusiastic that it was intriguing. Amazing. So intriguing enough to get you to consider the Hoosier State. She must have been a very convincing pitch person for the state. Yes. Sandy was an amazing woman, still is an amazing woman. She happens to live in Texas now. But yeah, she talked about the National Sports Festival, their bid for the Pan Am Games, and so on. And really talked, the thing that struck me was the possibilities and the opportunity about what they were trying to do in Indiana, which was different than when I lived in Colorado and different than when I lived in Maine. It was intriguing because I wanted to be a part of something new, something first. And the path that they laid out was was really interesting. They were moving a lot of national governing bodies to Indiana. So I packed up my car, uh, not knowing a Hoosier, <laughs> not ever having been to Indiana, and uh, drove east with the Rocky Mountains in my rearview mirror and thought, I hope this works out, but I'm going to try it. Oh, glad that you did. And uh, you mentioned Sandy, the the first executive director of Indy Sports Corp. An IBJ article, she's described you as tough, professional, and decisive. And, and she said that she learned soon after working with you that, quote, there was an iron fist inside that velvet glove. I thought to myself when I read that, that's an awesome description. Maybe talk a little bit about your leadership style and uh, what you think Sandy might have been referring to when she said that. Sandy has a lot of great quotes, and, and uh, I giggled when I read that, if she said that about me. I think for business, I'm about partnerships, and in all business dealings and all negotiation, I start first with, let's create a great partnership, let's collaborate well together, and let's get some business done. And we can have the same goals and approach them different ways, but come out with the right outcome. I think back to her quote, if I'm dealing with an organization or people that don't have high integrity or aren't uh, being as direct and honest or collaborative or uh, as good a partners as I think they should be, I can be very, very firm and I can still get the job done, even though I'm not going to uh, reduce myself to act like you are. <laughs> so she's seen me in a lot of negotiations over a lot of years. And uh, there's a switch with me if I don't feel like you're being a partner. And if I don't feel like you're collaborating and you're just all in it for yourself or not looking at the collective agenda. So that is a funny quote, but I think it's true. <laughs> so what was the first event that you were in charge of in India? I know you were a part of uh, the early organization, but which one did, would you say, gosh, that one had my fingerprints on it. And that was one that you took charge of. I had been involved in the Pan American Games and the 1991 World Gymnastics Championships and a number of other events. But when I moved to the Sports Corp in 1994, they asked me to put together the Women's Big Ten Basketball Championship. This is hard to even think about back then, but there was no Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament. There was no Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament. And there was no Big Ten Football Tournament. And so as a city, we were trying to get the Big Ten to start those tournaments and start them here in Indy. So I put together the first Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament. And the most interesting thing I think I learned doing that was that the basketballs had to be broken in. I did not know that, having been a gymnast. So we had to get people to volunteer to bounce the basketballs around. I had Butler. no idea that was <laughs> yeah. the case. I didn't either. I thought, boy, I have a lot to learn with different sports than gymnastics. So I did the, the first Big Ten women's tournament, the first Big Ten men's tournament that we did, I think, three, uh, 1998, so a few years later. But it was, it was great. I was thrilled to be able to bring that to light and work with the Big Ten on it. 
Well, we're glad you did because, and of course, the Big Ten's been hosting events in Indianapolis really ever since, and uh, we've been very fortunate to be the, the main place that M- Big Ten hosts most of its uh, events, so it's fantastic. So, of course, I've got to talk about the Super Bowl, which I know was a, a big event for, for you and for the city and the state, of course. Is it fair to say that heading up the Super Bowl host committee was the biggest challenge that you took on or have taken on in sports? Yeah, for many reasons, definitely. It was a four-year job, and there was a lot of complexities to it. And I was grateful that I had Mitch Daniels to work with, who was a wonderful partner. Greg Ballard was mayor at the time. So uh, collaboratively and collectively, we had a great leadership team. We had a board of directors that was fabulous uh, in, in being able to get all the work done. But I would say it definitely was my, my biggest professional challenge. The NFL is a, a complex organization. The Colts were, were great to work with. Over the years, as I looked at other cities that were trying to uh, host Super Bowls, and they had difficult owners, I guess I would say, uh, more difficult owners, and and some of their, their city politics were complicated. I was so grateful that here in Indiana, we were able to all come to the table together and look at the collective whole about what was best for Indianapolis, what was best for Indiana, versus fractions of different groups trying to fight for just themselves. And so... I think my biggest takeaway from that job was the entire city and state stepped up to put our best foot forward on something that really mattered. And it didn't matter just because it was economic impact. It mattered because we built that Super Bowl around legacy programs and we built that event around things that we could leave in Indiana that would be good for Indiana. And it wasn't just sort of heads in beds and let's move on like many other cities. So it was a big challenge, but one that I will always be grateful for. Did you ever imagine when you started down that path leading up to, it was 2012, correct? Mm -hmm. That in Indianapolis in the first weekend of February that you could have, I think it was nearly 70 degree temperatures, if I remember. I remember being down downtown. I I went to the the game. I spent all day that leading up there. And how is this possible? How did Allison arrange this? Yeah, it was. I remember the day we opened the Super Bowl Village. We were inside the convention center, you know, cutting the ribbon and so forth. And then Mitch and the mayor and Mark Miles and I came out to cut the ribbon at the Super Bowl Village. And when I walked out, it was 70 degrees. And I thought, really? Okay, this is great. Uh, We did have some bad weather days. Nobody remembers that. But we had two days in that 10 day period. We had to shut down the zip line because it was too windy. And then Super Bowl Sunday, it was snowing on the western front of Indiana as the storm was building. We were starting to figure out, should we pull volunteers inside and so forth? Honestly, the storm split in half. Half went north, half went south. It was like there was a bubble over us. So I was grateful for that too. I just remember it being absolutely wonderful. I remember being down by the zip line. It must have been the day before uh, when it was just absolutely gorgeous and thinking, uh, my gosh, how did we pull this one off? Yeah, (laughs) it was great. So you were also involved, of course, in the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. And I, I know it was um, maybe the only sellout, 350,000 people. How did, how did uh, the job of heading that effort up compare to the, to the Super Bowl? I love doing things first, right? My whole career, I've been, if someone says, well, no one's ever done that before, let's do it then. And for the 100th running, we said, no one's ever sold anything out before. So here we go. And Indianapolis was my home by then. And I wanted to make sure I could contribute to the world's single day largest sporting event. So when Mark called me and said, you know, do you want to come out to IMS and and lead the planning for that? I jumped at the chance. Um, it was very, very, uh, again, I'm going to use the word complex, but for different reasons. 300,000 
thousand people is like having three Super Bowls at the same time. So managing that number of bodies and people and services and uh, public safety and so forth was complicated. But again, Indiana pulls together and we had hundreds of people that helped us plan it. And uh, we came out with hardly any issues whatsoever with 350,000 people. And it was a great day. That was the day I stood out on the grid and thought, okay, this was wonderful because the weather was great again. Because weather's always a challenge with an outdoor event. With the Super Bowl, we knew what the weather was going to be inside Lucas Oil Stadium. We did not know what the weather was going to do on the 100th running. Just talking a little bit about your decision to join, at that time, it would have been the, the Holman family that was the owner of the Speedway. You've done the Super Bowl. You've been involved with all these amazing uh, events in Indianapolis. But of course, the Speedway is iconic. The Indy 500 is iconic for any Hoosier, but not just for Hoosiers around the world. Was it that draw that said, gosh, I'm in sports, but this is this is Hoosier. This is, has Hoosier written all over it when you think about the Indy 500 that brought you to the Holmans there initially? Yeah. And, you know, I always uh, went to the race after I moved here and loved participating in, you know, the big spectator experience. But it was always interesting to me that even at the Olympics, if I wore anything that said Indianapolis on it, because I have a lot of, you know, Indianapolis branded clothes, anywhere I am in the world, you see Indianapolis and people in any language, even when you don't speak their language, they say Indy 500, Indy 500. And to have such a global recognizable brand. And again, people that, that do not speak my language would come up to me in airports and say Indy 500. And so it was always interesting to me, the global perception of it. And so when Mark Miles called and said, we need a really good event leader to plan the 100th running, I thought this is my opportunity to give back to the city that I love and be involved in a global event like the Olympics. And it's right here in my hometown. And then, of course, Roger Penske comes along and decides uh, to make a deal with the with the Holman family and ends up buying the the Speedway. After all you've done in sports, working with a legend like Roger Penske, uh, what what are some of the learnings or experiences? What has that been like? Roger is absolutely incredible. I can't describe him any other way. He has taught me so much in these four years. And I, you know, I pride myself on being a great detailed planner and paying attention to every single little thing. But he is way better than I am at that. And so I have honed in my skills. He looks at the customer journey intently and specifically. And that matters. And in his, you know, his other businesses and car dealerships and so forth, you know, he's got that lens. And so it's almost like he puts on a separate pair of glasses and he stands in the concession lines and he stands in the restaurant lines. And he wants to know he's not going to do anything himself he wouldn't want a customer to do. And so he has the experience himself, and that has made us better, a lot better. It's amazing. I heard some of those early stories when he had first taken over and doing those initial tours where he's looking around and, and saying, gosh, we've got to, we've got to improve this experience for the customer. And that's, that's a neat thing to see an owner, a new owner of a, such an iconic place uh, think about so intently. That is his lens all the time. How does the customer feel in, in each of these different situations, merchandise, you know, and so on and so on. So we've always been focused that way. And personally, I've always been focused that way, but now at a new level. So now that you're full-time at the Speedway, I know you're still involved with a lot of the sports uh, scene and the local sports scene, which continues, of course, to thrive. Uh, we've got the NBA All-Star Game coming up, not too distant future, next month. And then we also have the U.S. Olympic swimming trials a few months later. As you know, other cities are envious of what we've been able to pull off, and you and, and the teams have been able to pull off over the last few decades in terms of our sports strategy. 
What do you think Indianapolis and the state of Indiana need to do to continue to operate the same level, attract the same level of, of sporting events and, uh, and see the economic opportunity continue and hopefully grow from here? Uh, first off, let me just the two, two events you mentioned. So exciting. I, the All-Star Game is going to be fabulous. And the Swimming Olympic Trials is a real game changer for us in Lucas Oil Stadium. So I'm excited about that. The thing that we have done better than anybody else in the years that I've been involved, which is now 30 to 40 years here in the city, is we can create leadership alignment and possibilities that other cities can't do. And that sounds like a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. Because as the Big Ten goes to other cities and, and tests out doing football and basketball, and the NGBs, national governing bodies, go and test out other cities, they come back. And they come back because we're easy to do business with. And we are easy to, our, our volunteers show up. They don't sign up for a shift and not show up. So we're always going to be competitive because we have the right heart of the people here to get these things done. What we have to not take for granted is as leaders change and business leaders change, political leaders change, that we keep that same consistency in attitude and in approach. And if I go way back to when I moved here in 1983, that's what Ted Boehm and Jim Morris and Jack Swarbrick and Sandy Knapp were all saying, you know, part of this is how we approach everything. And it's like at the All-Star Game, they're putting events in Lucas Oil Stadium. In the end, that's probably not the best business decision for the Pacers. I don't know, but it's the right business decision for the city because more people can attend it. So for keeping our competitive strategy, I think we have to always remember as leaders change and as businesses change, and new businesses move here, that getting everybody under the tent and working together is the way we have gotten business done and the way we will continue to be competitive and lead in the sports world. That's a important point that you emphasize what a big deal that is. It can seem maybe not as important when you think about the the glitz of other cities, you know, that a Chicago or a New York or LA have to offer, but they can't offer that secret sauce that you're describing, which um, makes a lot of sense, but uh, it's important for us to, to, to not let it fall away in any way, as, uh, as you say, as leaders change. And the rights holders of these events are our partners, and you have to treat them like partners. And I know for years and years and years, Jim Delaney, when he was with the Big Ten, that's what he kept saying to us. We are partners in this and the other locations that he went to that he didn't find the partnership. I'm sure the pressure for us to be at our best in this area and others is just going to increase as the Big Ten now is expanding where you've got, of course, we already had the East Coast expansion with with Rutgers and Maryland, but now we're going West Coast, the Big Ten is, in, in Washington, UCLA, USC, and the pressure to, I would think, from the Big Ten's perspective to hold events in some of these bigger market cities where they want to grow market share is going to, is going to grow. So we're going to have to figure out how to continue to uh, be at our very best. Yeah, that's right. There is a lot of pressure on them to do that. But the alumni also have influence there, and the alumni is not going to find a better experience than here. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's going to be uh, good to keep all those things in mind as we grow. Let's take a quick break. This is Off the Record Podcast. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Off the Record Podcast. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, and I'm talking with Allison Melanchthon, Senior Vice President at Penske Entertainment. 
So we're always trying to learn from our Indiana 250 guests. And in that vein, I always ask and always curious to learn what is one big idea to make Indiana a better place to live or a better place to grow or start a company? I don't know that I have a magic bullet. Just a couple thoughts about it. The NCAA move here in 2000 was huge. Jack Swarbrick led that effort and it had lots of tentacles with it. Not only did we get a national headquarters, you know, there's only two huge sports organizations um, of that, those size, the U.S. Olympic Committee and the NCAA. We, we were not on the NCAA list to move to. They had other cities on their list. We basically had to beg our way onto the list and that served us well in the end because the NCAA chose the right partner. But with the organization, it brought staff, it brought hundreds of events. It brought business leaders that have contributed to lots of different things that we've done here. And the list goes on and on and on. So as we look at, you know, as the city evolves, and I know that state and city both do a great job looking at organizations to move here. The ones to move here, in my opinion, have the tentacles. They have lots of ways that they can strengthen the city and make the city better. So that's sort of number one, that, that type of thinking. And then second, I'm big on foundation. That's probably because of my sports background. Like in gymnastics, it's risky to do any skills unless you have the foundation right. And doing all these events, you got to get your your foundation of how you plan correct, and then you have to then scale it. And I think that there's still things in this city, in the state that we're working on, and I think we need to double down on those things and make sure we've got our foundation good, And which we do. We have a great foundation. But let's keep tweaking the things that we're all working on as civic leaders and tweaking, get that foundation solid, because that's going to give us an advantage over everybody else anyway. And this city does a fantastic job when we're all focused together on the right things. So as Indy prepares to host this NBA All-Star Weekend and festivities, as the ultimate event planner, which I know you are, what kind of things run through your mind for, for Indy to capitalize on holding this big event? First, I want to give a shout out to Mel Raines. Uh, she's just doing a fabulous job as the president of the host committee. And with her working is, is Susan Boffman, who was the president of the college football championship, and, and as well as Diana Boyce. All of them worked on the Super Bowl. I'd like to shout out to Indiana for having three women lead three of the world's largest events, with Susan leading the college football championship, Mel leading the All-Star Game, and uh, myself in the Super Bowl, as we've discussed. So Indiana has a lot of women that, that are the CEOs of sports events, and I think that's great. So Mel's done a fabulous job. I want to compliment her on that. You know, for capitalizing on it, it's not often that our city gets the opportunity to have a global audience. It happens one time annually through the Indy 500, where the rest of the entire world can see what Indiana is and what the people are made of. And this all-star game is one of those opportunities. So you've got the Indy 500 every year, and then Every once in a while, you've got these other big events that drop in, and they've done a really great job of pushing everything forward that could be Indiana. You know, recently, a lot of pictures have been posted at the airport with the full basketball court out there. What a great idea. And that is sticking our uh, line in the sand right there when people get off the plane that, that we aren't like every other all-star city. We're going to do it over the top because that's how we do it. And that's how the whole weekend is going to be. So I encourage everybody to get out and, and come down. And I love the way that the, the Colts have been involved with this. It's important. And Lucas Oil Stadium, and they're spreading things around throughout the city, which again, I think is important. Arts are involved. They've done a great job making this more than a game, which is what, our, what we have been known for. And they're continuing that and taking it to a new level. 
It's going to be exciting. I know they're expecting at least 125,000 people coming downtown for the multiple events and uh, really uh, – Opportunity for Indy, put, put its best foot forward and show, and show the world uh, what we have to offer. So uh, exciting event coming up next month. So Allison, you've done a lot for our city through sports, but you've also been involved in heading major campaigns for the United Way and the Wheeler Mission. And you could have easily just justified not getting involved in these big philanthropic efforts because of how busy you've been in uh, your day job and, and running sporting events and working for the Indianapolis 500 and, and all the other great things you've done, but you've been very involved. What is your philosophy and how do you find the time to get involved uh, philanthropically in our community? You know what? You have to make the time. That's how I think about it. So many people have volunteered over the years for sports. You know, for the Super Bowl, we had 60 committees that had five or six people on them that worked for two years. We had 8,000 volunteers on that weekend that volunteered. We have 12,000 people knit scarves over the years. So people here volunteer, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in civic volunteerism. So because my uh, job was always in sports, I looked for other ways to be able to contribute. And I got involved in, in a number of things. But as you mentioned, the United Way, who I think is in a really important strategic partner for city, for the city and, and the other cities that where United Way is. And then the Wheeler Mission Women and Children's Center is a big passion of mine. This is a problem we can solve in Indianapolis, women and children who are homeless. And so part of that is raising awareness that we do have that problem here and not being intimidated, you know, in talking about it. And so uh, you have to care about it and to do that and get other people involved, you have to educate. And so in both of those organizations specifically, I felt led to do it because they were problems that I knew I could contribute and try to help solve. I, I like solving problems. Appreciate you doing all, all that work for the benefit of our city and citizens. I just wanted to pick up on one of the things you just mentioned on the on the scarves project. How did that even come about? I mean, the, the concept of asking all these people to knit scarves. And if I remember right, that was one of those things that people really wanted to obtain. They were they were a hot commodity during the Super Bowl. But how did the whole idea even even come about? It was interesting. It was a it was a Friday. I remember this specifically. It was a Friday, and I had I came home from work, and my voicemail had forty voicemails on it. It was like forty two voicemails. So as I was listening to each one of them, they were all from volunteers, and they said, "You know, I just retired. I have time on my hands. I want to help. I helped with the Pan Am games, and this was you know a year and a half, two years before the Super Bowl, and I had nothing for anyone to do. And I went home, and I was so sad because I thought I am the worst." buzzkill. I have all this great enthusiasm. People are excited to volunteer and they have nothing to do. So I called a friend who's a great problem solver, uh, Connie Israel. She's worked on a bunch of global events. And uh, I said, you know, I've got this issue. So we just started sort of peeling back a whiteboard. Like, what could we have people do now that matters and that people will care about? And so there was the scarf idea that was born. And there were many things about it that I loved. And partly it was because you could connect Hoosiers from all over the world. We had people from Lily all over the world living all over the place that were knitting and crocheting and sending things to us. And in Africa and anyone that had ever lived in Indiana, it felt like, and they were sending in pictures with scarves saying, I, I don't live there anymore, but I love it. My family's there here and here's my contribution. So you could be anywhere and do it. And then when the volunteers were picking up the scarves, we had notes from the person each time. So when they picked it up, it, it was a real connection. And some of my favorite stories were people that reached out to the person that knitted and thanked 
meet them and then got together and had dinner with them at some point in life, you know. So it was one of those things. Yeah, when Bob Costas and Condoleezza Rice called and said, can I have a super scarf? I was like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It became the thing. It's cool. I mean, there are many stories about uh, how Indy does things a little different, a little more ways to connect people, humanizing. And and this was one of the great ones. I I remember it being a really big deal and it it caught national attention, of course. And uh, that's a really neat story. Yeah. We had one woman that was 80 something years old and she did over 70 herself. And uh, she lived in Michigan City, Indiana, and it was a real passion project for her. She called and said, I'm going to start knitting. How many do you need? And I said, well, I need about 8,000. And she said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do my best. And she said, I'm, you know, I'm too old to stand out and direct parking and, um, you know, do anything like that. But this I can do. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome Be- story. Bev Mesco was her name. That's really cool. Well, Allison, we've made it to off the record speed round where I give you some questions and you try to give me some quick answers back. So we'll uh, we'll get rolling. Okay, ready. Favorite movie? Overboard, the version with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. That's a good one. <laughs> Favorite place to vacation? St. Bart's. Favorite musical artist? Right now, Lauren Daigle. What is the first thing you do in the morning? Make myself a nice hot latte and start trolling Twitter to see what I missed. (laughs) (laughs) Title of the last book you read? The Great Disappearance. What food you cannot live without? I'm really picky about my yogurt, and Siggy's is a brand. Siggy's yogurt. If you haven't tried it, you should. (laughs) Siggy's yogurt. Skiing or gymnastics? At this point in life, probably neither. They're both dangerous, (laughs) but I would say uh, probably skiing. I can still do that. Best advice you ever received? So I got it, I got it uh, in two forms from two people, Mark Miles and Jack Swarbrick, when we were sitting in the conference room trying to figure out how to deliver the Super Bowl bid in 2008 to the NFL, trying to be creative, different, something new. And they said, let's have eighth graders fly all over the country and deliver Super Bowl bids to the NFL owners. And I had an eighth grader at the time, and I was horrified instantly by the logistics and picturing my son delivering something to Jerry Jones and having a conversation with him. So I started balking. And they said at the same time to me, do not let logistics get in the way of a great idea. You know what? And it was like the best thing we did to kick off the Super Bowl bid. (laughs) So they were right. Advice for a young person who wants to become a leader? Be self-aware. I think self-awareness is is a real key to success. And so if you can identify ways uh, early on that you are really good at things or really bad at things and work on the bad things and then work hard, then I think you've, you've got a good path to success. Good advice. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on the Indiana 250 podcast. And thank you for all you've done to bring such positive attention to our city and state over the last number of uh, decades. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks to Allison Melanchthon, Senior Vice President at Penske Entertainment, for our conversation today. To learn more about other leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list, go to indiana250.com and look for page two feature each week in IBJ. We'll be back with a new Indiana 250 off-the-record conversation soon. 